It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Hello there, my name is Miles Jupp cricket fan and together with my co-host Mark Wood, actual cricket man, we invite you to listen to Middle Please Umpire, a new cricket podcast containing the two of us banging on and sounding off together about cricket and quite possibly all manner of other things while lifting the lid on Mark's life as an international cricketer. And as if that wasn't enough, we shall be welcoming some great guests along the way and chatting to them about life on and off the playing field as they spill the beans, drop some truth bombs and see if they can withstand the scrutiny of our brutal interrogations. Middle Please Umpire is available right now from all your favourite podcast providers. Hello and welcome to Stop Hammer Time. My name's Phil Whelans and it's a festive Christmas hammer time, though you wouldn't know from how society is that it is in fact Christmas at the moment. But here to share uh, what sense of Christmas still remains with me are, as always, Jim Grant. Hello, Good evening. Jim. Good evening. Also, as you know, uh, uh, we on this podcast have a huge legal team, a bigger legal team than O.J. Simpson's legal team, which is a slightly smaller legal team than Donald Trump's legal team. Heading our legal team, as always, it's uh, it's Britain's top QC. It's Simon Pentel. Hello, Simon. Evening, all. And I trust everyone's fit and well and uh, um, acclimatising to what they you, they now call the new normal, although I hate that expression. That's right. Um, just getting on with a very, very strange life. That's what it's about. I mean, I was in the city today. I'm coming back from the Central Criminal Court, the old Bailey, and it was like Armageddon, frankly. I've never yeah. seen it like it. And, and in and Christmas week, when you normally expect at about four o'clock to see people falling out or falling into the boozers that are obviously um, pollulate that particular area completely dead it was really quite sad yes yeah yeah so you know a couple of people on um facebook posted pictures on saturday night of uh you know em- completely empty tube trains at about 11 o'clock on saturday on the saturday night before christmas, christmas. yeah so it's, uh, it's it is extremely strange 
Um, we didn't do one of these last week. Uh, so we have three games of football to talk about. We have last night's fixture against Chelsea to discuss. And uh, we'll probably fold into the conversation, the games against uh, Leeds and Crystal Palace. I mean, we, um, you know... Uh, it's still this year, strange though this year has been and uh, strange how our perception of time has been over the last months. It's still this year that we were fighting relegation uh, only, you know, five or so months ago. So if you were to look at these fixtures at the outset of this season and go, OK, there's Chelsea, Palace and, you know, the resurgent Leeds who look very exciting, a win, lose and a draw is a fairly satisfying result from those three fixtures, I think. Um, and in fact, we sort of got them probably in the right order uh, because Leeds have had a little bit of a slump. Uh, but last night, we played Chelsea. Um, what do we make of it? Simon, what did you think? Well, um, frankly, I was disappointed. And I think that's a lot to do with the greater expectation, if I can um, use that as it's often shown at this time of year on, on TV, some old version of it. Um, but I had greater expectation that we'd actually get a positive result. Shows how much improvement there's been, I think, in the last eight or nine months. Um, and I was disappointed because we had a lot of possession, which is unusual for the way we play now. Yeah. But I thought, in truth, we lacked cutting edge. And we're a bit powder puff up front, unfortunately, across the whole front three. I'm not digging out Alaire, although obviously he's the target. But um, Thiago Silva had him in his pocket for the whole bloody game, frankly. Mm. Um, and he didn't really get a kick. And without that explosive pace of Mikel Antonio, we really are lacking when we um, in being decisive up front. And I thought there was a sort of inevitability if we didn't score in that first 20 minutes of the second half when we were so plainly on top. You could see that we were going to leak one, and we did, and the third um, just rolled into that. And um, be, Normally, I wouldn't, wouldn't be that disappointed losing 3-0 at Stamford Bridge. Our record there is so shameful. Um, and I think probably like the two of you, I, the last three wins we've had at Stamford Bridge um in the last probably 25 years i've been at every single one of them obviously last season famously with david martin then before that the uh what i call the paolo di canio mamma mia gold game yeah um and before that we won one nil up there i think when um Foe scored the only goal of the game um but last night for those reasons was disappointed i expected more um and we failed to deliver but i think it was a continuation actually of the Palace game, when in a similar sort of way, we were a bit powder puff up front. I know Alea scored a worldie. Yeah. But, you, you know, we should have done more, especially when they were reduced to 10 men. And it seemed an overhang. And I confess, I feel much less happy when we're playing a flat back four. Um, I, I really think yeah. that the three at the back makes us work so much better going forward. So Jim, what do you make? What do you make of it all? Well, uh, yeah, it's quite a lot to out of that I mean, slow I agree. start we got off to a slow start didn't we yeah. we we had yeah. to find our way into the game we we um we were pretty poor for the first maybe 20 minutes of that game couldn't get the ball i mean you know 20 minutes gone they were one nil up um with you know the guy heads in unmarked um and um and actually we've defended piece as well this season generally so it was a bit of that was a bit of an aberration but he's good isn't he he used all his experience to, to find yeah. space um 
a little bit of ball watching from Cresswell, but but I don't think he was. I think it was just a very good corner and a very good goal from their point of view. Um, but we, you know, they had about eighty five percent possession at the twenty minute stage, which which the, and the fact that the game ended up more or less fifty fifty tells you how dominant we were in the last quarter of an hour of the first half and. As, as, uh, as Simon has said, for the first 20, 25 minutes of the of the second half. And if you're that dominant in a game against that kind of opposition, you have to score. You've got you to score, yeah. Score. We were... Um... You have to, you know, and we didn't really create... Well, there was a chance, a block shot or two, but we didn't really create a clear-cut opening. They did defend very well, but... Um, we, um, I mean, right. we, we had a puff up front. We need. We, we need were competitive. Uh, we were competitive, and, and you know, at times on top for I would say about an hour of that game. Oh, totally. You totally. know, I'd say you know half an hour of the first half and half an hour of the second half. Uh, you know, we were we were at least you know uh, going toe to toe with them or on top for phases. Um, when we got to half time, we'd had the ball in the net twice, um, but unfortunately illegally. I did think that. Um, uh, Bowen's goal was perfectly good. I thought, you know, Thiago Silva, as as Simon you say, you know, has a he is a thirty six year old, very experienced player, and I thought yeah. he, um, I just the referee. cheated. I just thought he yeah, cheated. He, Con he the did. Referee. He tripped I, over his own feet. Con the referee. There was if 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 there was any contact with um, Bowen at all, it was it was minimal, as much initiated by. His, um, silver as, as as by bone, and the goal should have stood. I mean that it might have changed changed things completely. As, as you know, in the way that you know against Manchester United, the ball that went out of play changed that game completely. So we we've had, we've had you know we've had a raw deal in some respects, but you know um, we have only got ourselves to blame. If you if you're that dominant against that opposition, as I say, I mean, that was a Chelsea team that looked short on confidence, bizarrely, and was absolutely there. For the taking, I've never seen a Chelsea team give the ball away so much um, no. without, without. And we upped our game. Second half, we pressed them well and we forced them into errors, and we just did not capitalise on the errors. It's about. I don't think it is just a question of Haller not being a, a um, you know the striker we thought he was because he isn't. Um, it's also decision making in the final third, but. Owen is a fantastic bundle of energy and he's great for the tempo and so on. But frequently he ma- he makes the wrong call or um, just only wants to come in on his on his left foot. Um, the crossing wasn't as good as it, it and it hasn't been for some time now. Um, so, you know, it's disappointing. I think it is disappointing because I think I look back at it. I think it's a game we probably could have and possibly should have won. Yeah. Won. That, that's that was the point I was making, and I'm just picking up on what you're saying, Jim. Uh, as I made it quite clear, my criticism wasn't necessarily just of Alaire. I thought the whole front three um, lacked not just that pace and sparkle, but inventiveness. And uh, picking up again on what you said about the crossing, it wasn't good, it was poor, but it was just basically pumping it to the far stick. Um, there were no little one-twos, no right. one peeling off, no one holding back waiting for the right time to make the run. And it's what I think um, demonstrated how clever a player and and how preeminent Declan Rice has actually become. Um, The goal that he had chalked off, and I thought that was really actually unfair. I I, I can't get my brain around the fact that you can be offside by leaning. Um, He was actually, he was onside, his feet were onside, but he leant 
Well, he's yeah. running. What, what do you want him to do? Run bolt upright like, um, what was it, Mike, Michael Johnson? I mean, people yeah. other than he do not run in that ridiculous mode. I mean, it's just it's, too um, for words. But it was that was the sort of inventiveness that we were crying out for. And I think it was a bit of an indictment that it took our defensive um, midfield um, superhero to actually show the rest. This is how you actually do it in a game like this. And he took it beautifully. Yeah. I mean, he didn't know it was offside. Took it absolutely stunningly well. Um, yeah, yeah. I mean, even, even even you know, sort of the less high functioning top flight teams have someone who has got a kind of. You know, uh, I, I'm, what I mean is a little bit more than sort of basic competence, but they've got a sort of, they've got a Callum Wilson or they've got a Jamie Vardy or they've got a Danny Ings. We actually just, we don't even have one of those. No, We've we got three guys at the front who are not, you know, I love Jared Bowen. I think he's absolutely fantastic, but he's not Eden Hazard and that's why we've got him, you know. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, you know, one one conclusion to draw from last night's game is they spent two hundred million pounds in the summer. That's you know, that's yeah. why they, you know, that's yeah. part of the reason they won that game three nil is is you know the, the simple realities of it. And we we you know for Nels as well is is you know sometimes his decision making and mm. his finishing. You know, he's hit the outside of the post twice now that it just if it had just dribbled in it would have changed the game there was one wasn't there against yeah. uh one of those games leads or maybe maybe the one before Leeds, leads and, and, and against man united man united. Oh, yeah, that might be the one i'm thinking of yeah, where it's Phil, just... you, know, you know i get your point when you talk about 200 million pounds but the players you just mentioned jamie vardy came from non-league football yeah that year oh, yeah. was given away um, before he got to Southampton. Via oh, yeah, I'm not connecting those no, two no, points. I'm just saying no, they've no. got someone like that in the same way that we used to have David Cross, you know. Yeah, but, but we, just need, we just need one of those at the moment is, is, is sort of someone who, you know, can swivel and shoot. They well, could be they could be the size of my kitchen. They could be a big tub of yeah, lard. But I would really like to see, and I hope it happens, I just was watching, I've uh, got Sky on in the background, and it's on the strap line, it's saying that Mikel Antonio is back in training. Um, I, I do hope that um, when he's fully fit, uh, Moyes can find a way to have, before we actually bin off Alaire once and for all, to see him and Alaire play together. Um, yeah. uh, and I think un until we do that, it would be really unfair um, to judge Alaire finally, um, because in theory it's a partnership that could very well work with you've got the explosive pace of one player um, and, and the touch of the other. And, of course, each will help the other out and create space and time. So um, I really would like to see a, a, a mechanism be constructed that would allow us to at least try that we, um, um, before we resort to the one up front. And, and that's, that's a part yeah. of the problem. Just before lockdown, we beat Southampton 3-0 with a front three of Alaire, Antonio and Bowen. Precisely. Um, so it can, yeah. you know, so it, it can and, and possibly, you know, ideally will, will at some point be done. But um, I think the, the, other, the other big sort of factor in where, where, where we're heading at the moment is, is we've been saying all along that the squad is thin. 
and the, that thinness is beginning to become apparent. You know, Moyes is getting having fewer and fewer options to do anything to uh, to change things around or, or experiment. And he's got some players who I think, in various various points, are starting to look a bit leg. I think Fornals has looked jaded for mm. the last three games, and it's not a surprise. You know, he runs he runs his socks off over ninety minutes. Suchek seems to have got a slight sort of second wind, but when he was going to the international. Um, uh, in those international games, he he started to look a bit tired and leggy. I thought, um, and I, I think you know we've got to look to the transfer window and, and get legs in. You know, Lanzini, for example, pick, picks up an injury just after he comes on and has a really good forty-five minutes against yeah. uh, Crystal Palace and looked like he was probably going to start in that number ten position where you know he looked better than Ben Rama to be fair because he, he's he, well he is better than Ben Rama you know he's got got nous and he makes space and he picks passes you know um yes I, I Ben Rama is is uh is good it's good with the ball <laughs> in his feet but but I, I, it, it's difficult to see how he fits in in some respects I mean uh, I have to I'm confess not sure about him I thought it was a very strange signing um to begin with and I couldn't see what value he actually added um, with what we had. But what I find is remarkable, and I agree with you absolutely about fatigue and the fact that we don't have the resources to properly rotate as other teams do. When you think that Declan Rice has played over 50 successive games and every minute of every game, yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's startling. And when you throw into that, um, he's played all those England internationals as well. Um, this guy is becoming simply some player um quite extraordinary he you know touch wood he hasn't had an injury he doesn't really you know doesn't get sent off or anything stupid like that his engine is is remarkable and yeah, i think yeah. most importantly he's got the um philosophical mindset to actually cope with everything he looks always fresh and he's becoming a really really important player um beyond, I think, anyone's anyone's dreams. And if, any, if anyone would have told me three years ago that Declan Rice would play over 50 successive matches and not miss a single second of any one of them for 95 minutes, I wouldn't have believed it. But he has. His worth now is just getting astronomic. Do, do you think the selection of Noble in the starting eleven was overcautious? Because we dominated them in midfield to such an extent that I felt he was almost... Although he was getting on the ball quite a bit, uh, he was doing his very. Yeah, he slowed us down. I thought. I thought, um, and in a way, maybe um, you know, obviously Lanzini wasn't available, but um, possibly starting with Fornals at number ten and Ben Rama on, or, or or even Snodgrass, who I think has been underused uh, this season, might have given us a bit more going forward. I don't know. What do you think? Well, I, I'm look. I. I'm as a as a person. I'm a huge fan of Nobes. Um, anyone who's played well over now, well over 500 times West Ham, you've got to take your hat off. And after the legends uh, such as Bonds and Brooking and Moore and Frank Senior, you know he's next in the pecking order of appearances. Although of course a large number of them have been substitutes, either off or on, not starting like the other four always yes. did. But um, yes, his his the, his inclusion does slow it down and. Intriguingly or coincidentally, I think that was demonstrated perfectly um, 
at the end of last season when in the home game against Chelsea, the 3-2 win, he did not feature in that game. Mm. Um, and we moved the ball so much quicker without him. Mm. And he does, therefore, slow it down. And I couldn't quite understand what David Moyes thought he was going to give us, um, that any number of players um, could have been selected to perform precisely the same task. Yeah, I, 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 yeah, I, I thought it was a slightly curious selection. I thought it was just cautious. I thought it was a bit worried about what, you know, the, the, Chelsea's armoury. But actually, I, I if, you know, I... I know they've gone the game three 0 but it completely flatters them. And I thought they they looked that I was disappointed with them in a way. To be honest, I thought they lacked intensity and they lacked slickness. To be honest, mm. well, well, I mean, you know, uh, it, you know, thing is, uh, you know, good teams often, you know, kind of grind out a result, play yeah. badly but still yeah, win, sure. and they play badly and won three nil. Yeah, played yeah. badly and beat beat us three nil. Yeah. So you know, it's like. You know, that's part. That's part of it. They'll they'll play well in other games with their you know vast array of talent. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I think he he obviously was thinking of Noble's sort of defensive qualities. There was a little bit of um, what I sort of you know dislike sometimes to see as a sort of kind of computer game football you know, mentality in that he's sort of seen Noble's CV and kind of gone, well, he'll be able to distribute the ball and he can pick out a pass, but also he's, uh, you know, he puts tackles in. He's a sort of a little bit of a terrier-like midfielder. Maybe we need that. And and actually, I think, you know, if you're worried about giving the ball away, keep the ball. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, he, to be fair to Moyes, he did make one, I, I thought I, just, there was a tactical error, a tactical change at uh, half time because Noble had started the game as the most advanced of the midfield three. Yeah, uh, yeah. In the second half, it was Suchek who was more advanced and Noble played deeper. And that did improve us, I thought. Yeah, I, because he can pick out a pass. I think he had yeah. a half an eye on him as a sort of number 10, that he's a little bit, you know, um, in advance of uh, Suchek and Rice, you know, it, and in that sort of a slight playmaker spot. But Chelsea's midfield is very dynamic. So someone who, you know, is expected to perhaps be a kind of number 10 and a bit of linchpin for anything is running around chasing men yeah. 10 years younger than him. So there's real, there wasn't really an opportunity for him to sort of fulfill a kind of playmaker role. Um, he's yeah. scampering around the pitch. Yeah. And you've mentioned, obviously, Antonio already, but we also miss Masuaku, if only oh, yeah. the fact that he allows us to play the back three. Um, well, and- I mean, that's that's a bit of an, indi- I mean, an indictment that, you know, Masuaku is injured, so we now have to have, play with a flat back four. And as much as I've been delighted um, by um, Aaron Creswell's renaissance playing in that and back three on the on the left hand side of that three, um, bless him. Last night he got terribly exposed as as a, an old fashioned full back. Yeah. Um, and it's it's not it's not just a mere coincidence that um, the two goals from open play both came down his side. You know. Yeah. He, yeah. Yeah. He he can't hack it. He gets he he really is exposed. He needs the cover of playing in a three where he looks very comfortable. He's yeah. allowed time to distribute the ball. He's got a great delivery from a dead ball and in play, in fairness. But 
I, I, it, I find it extraordinary that we can't find somebody else who can play ahead of him on the left-hand side. Well, and it's, it's, that's it's, certainly not Ben Rama because he can't do that. No, yet. no, no, definitely not. And you, in a way, you wouldn't necessarily want him to, to do that. He, right, if he's going to play, he's got to be, an, I think he's going to be a sort of impact player, hasn't he? Who can, yeah. who can do something a bit special. He's, he's a long way off being a regular starter, I think. But, um, uh, it's, it's a priority in January, isn't it? I mean, it's been a priority. And I, you know, some, you don't have any faith that, 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 the funds are going to be made available, but it seems to me we've got three glaring priorities. Uh, one is is somebody else who can play left wing back, <laughs> um, striker. Yep. I mean, we you know even if Fale were banging them in, I still think we need cover. We you know we've we've only got him as a recognised centre forward, uh, Antonio as a sort of convert, but um, we need a striker, and we have to have competent competent but not necessarily starting legs in midfield as cover for Suchek or Rice because we are so lucky they have played every minute of every game so far this season and you cannot see that happening for the whole season um and you have to have someone who can come in there and give this you know keep the energy up if not necessarily the quality because I just don't think you're going to be able to get someone to do that who want to sit on the bench but you know we we do need somebody other than Noble, bless him, or Snodgrass, to come in and run around in midfield if we have an injury. Well, unfortunately, the portents aren't good, are they? Because no. they, didn't they sign today some 19-year-old centre-back? Alves. Yeah, you yeah. know, Frederick Alves. Um, for, a, you know, a, a bag of nuts and a, and, a, and a pint of lager or whatever the fee was. He, he's not going to come in that team um in either he's not going to start probably for about 18 months oh i, I think Moy no. said today he's sort of one for the future you know yeah but i'm sorry but i'm with jim you know f- f- don't worry you can't worry about the future till you've got the present sorted sure um, yeah. and the only the only great reassurance is um with all this despondency around this conversation this evening um we should do well to remember that we're a third of the way through the season and uncharacteristically for us in the past few years, we've got 21 points. Yeah, no, I don't feel, I don't feel and, negative and, at all. And, and that, you know, if, if, we, if we maintain that, you know, we're, we're looking at a 60-point return, which will probably be the first time if we get there since um, the last season at Upton Park. Yeah. My, my, and minus Payet, of course, and we don't have a world-class footballer as, as the linchpin of the team. So that's quite an achievement. So all of that... Um, have you know, provide some comfort, and I just think that, as I said at the outset, football is a remarkable thing. It, it changes your expectation, which of course colours your perspective. Um, and had we done this last Tuesday, um, but for your motor breaking down, Jim, we would. Um, there I was, and I'm sure you both were too, um, very much comforted and, and enjoying the fact that we'd one away at Leeds, um, at, at a beat Leeds at Ellen Road, I think for only the third time in 50 years, yeah. and we'd come from a goal behind away from home, which was probably yeah. the first time, if I'm right, I'm I'm stretching my memory, but since in, in that same last season at the Bowling where we came, down, came back from 2-0 down at Goodison Park, um, yeah. uh, well, you know, to turn it around 3-2, and of course Pyatt banged in the winner, um, That's right. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
that was how you think, wow, we, we've reached this stage. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And then we go to <clears throat> draw on, on, on Wednesday against Palace, who are always going to be problematic because they've got tremendous pace going forward. And, and we're not playing with a back three. And, and, and we save as of yesterday. And we did so much more in that game than deserving to lose 3-0. But without cutting edge. Yeah. Um, so, whereas this time last season, we would have been, we would have thought, as you said at the outset, Jim, you know, a win, a lose and a draw from those three games. Yeah, that would have been perfectly acceptable. But from the perspective of coming away from a, with a win at Ellen Road, having been 1-0 down, however outrageous the penalty was and certainly the retake. Yeah. Um, yeah, you're, you're you know you're very buoyant, aren't you? And optimistic, thinking right, yeah. we're going to go into Wednesday, we're going to smash Palace, and we'll come off the back of that, and we'll go to the bridge, and we'll show the old rent boys, you know, what it's all about. Um, and unfortunately, it didn't work out like that. No, no. Um, more of this after this message. If you want an e-bike that doesn't look like it's made for the shopping precinct, something that's less Mr Bean and more Steve McQueen, check out the range of bikes from London-based Cooler King. From dope 250-watt city bikes to Harley Bobber-inspired 750-watt beasts that can tear your face off while leaving your smile intact. Cooler Kings are made in limited numbers, yet highly affordable. Check them out now on the web at cooler.bike or find them on Instagram with hashtag CoolerKingBike. Cooler.bike. E-bikes that are cool AF. Welcome back. Uh, yes, you know, we absolutely, um, uh, as I said at the outset, uh, you know, a, a, a four-point return from three games, one of them against Chelsea, one against Paris, and one against Leeds is is perfectly kind of acceptable, especially for yeah. what our expectations were at the start of the season. I mean, I think, you know, Palace are a good outfit. I like, you know, they're... they're oh, wow. You know, he's a good coach. He's sort of much more, you know, there's this sort of, there's this weird thing in such a kind of, you know, a, a huge demographic of football fans are a little bit xenophobic and maybe a bit Brexity, but there's this weird uh, counterintuitive thinking about English managers, like they're just not very good. So it's, they think they're all like Pulis and Allardyce. And Hodgson is, you know, sort of not very highly regarded, but I think he's all right. And I think he's done a pretty good job at Palace, you know, and he's done good jobs at other, other places he's been. So, you know, I was... Um, you know, not expecting to go and smash them at Selhurst Park. And, and as you say, Simon, it's, it was away from home, you know, not that that makes a huge amount of difference, but it does a bit in these uh, COVID times. And, um, you know, it was a, it was a, it was a tough game. And I thought we did, you know, well to, to, you know, get a draw out of that game. I think well, you're well, right. Actually, although it was at home, by the it way. It was at home. Yeah. Oh, was it at home? Right. Yeah, it was but, at home. But, but it's essentially the, the, the point is good. I, mean, I thought it was a tough fixture. Um, uh, and they were. I mean, I thought we got we got ourselves into that game pretty well after after not a good start. Um, and uh, as for the Leeds game, I thought you know 
um, they were undone again by the two set pieces. But we played well. We, we you know, we, we we were good in that game. And I, I'm not being negative in the sense that I, I'm not delighted with the way the season has gone. I think we've been fantastic. The way we were for 20 minutes, you know, competing, winning second balls, and knocking it around and keeping possession against a 200 million pound, you know, Chelsea side was I thought hugely impressive the way we kept the ball at times but you've got to you know when you are in control of games you got to score you, you have to score and and, and yeah. the, this this writing was on the wall in mm. those one nil those tight one nil wins against Fulham and Sheffield United it's not it's going yeah. back a little way since we've looked like a free scoring team that we were when we played Wolves played Leicester you know and, and, and towards the end of, of, of um, last season at times but, um, but and, and it's about it's about resources isn't it it's not really about you know it's not it's not to criticize the team it's it's, it's to say you know, we, we have to build on this we've got the nucleus a spine for the first time of a, of a, of a really 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 competitive top half Premier League team. But it needs a few a few bits and pieces. It needs, you know, it needs and it needs depth, you know. And if we don't provide that, I think you know one key injury. You know, if if Suchek, you know, gets a bad injury in the, or, or Rice, and then in the, in the next game or next game or two, we're going to end up not not not. I don't think in a relegation fight, but we're going to end up. No. Half, you know? Yeah, we're we're one significant injury away from disaster, aren't exactly. we? Exactly. But. In picking up, Jim, on what you just said when you were recounting those recent results, of course, what is um, quite intriguing is that I think all those one nil games, of course, um, Antonio didn't feature. No. No. Uh, And that's the unifying factor. And, of course, when we were um, banging goals in toward the end of last season, although it seems like three weeks ago, Mm -hmm. um, he, you know, he was, you know, the three goals against Chelsea, um, the three goals against um, Wolverhampton uh, uh, at at the Thunderdome. He was playing and he played, of course, and was instrumental in the games away at Leicester and at home this season against Wolves um, and in in the revival at Whiteshite Lane. Um, You know, he made a lot of that happen. I know, of course, Lanzini scored a worldie yeah. to equalise yeah. it, but it, and it, and what he gives is not just his pace, but it it allows that ball either over the top or through the middle of the centre backs, um, so he can run beyond the play. And when he's not playing, we don't have that option, no. which makes it much more difficult to be inventive. Um, can I just throw this in though? Picking up. Um, from what you were saying, Jim, about and, and confusing, I think it's a lovely Freudian slip, whether we were at home or away, actually, against Palace. I firmly believe that we as a club have so benefited from no one in the stadium. <laughs> yeah, maybe. No, yeah. genuinely. Yeah, maybe. Because had there been 60,000 or plus um, in a lot of those games, we haven't scored after 10 minutes. We get restless, and we do. We might be fantastic, passionate, and loyal fans, but we do. The, the, the stadium, of course, is a focal point of toxicity, if nothing else. And when it's not happening on the pitch, then the old, the, the old grievances start to pour out, and that leads on to um, a real depression around, around the ground. Um, yeah. which of course, affects the players. Well, they've not had to do that since restart, and I don't think it's a mere coincidence that our resurgence, particularly at home, um, has coincided with the fact that ex, um, 
absent the Man United game, there have just been the announcers and the staff in yeah. the stadium. Yeah. But it's a bit nature nurture as well, because actually Moyes, um, you know, has to take some credit as well as absence of fans because you know even in his first spell after Billich um he gave the fans something to cheer about you know in that week that we beat Chelsea and drew with Arsenal and yeah. started to think hey the you know the survival is on and you know once it feels there's a project the fans get behind it and uh, you know there, there were you know with João Mario playing in the closing stage of that season the Thunderdome was quite a good place to go we had oh. some good results you know um very unlucky in a couple of those games with offside decisions, uh, you know, not to actually um, get a couple more results at the end of that season. And similarly, the, um, you know, our survival, which which did begin with a kind of a 4-0 thumping of Bournemouth in front of a crowd and a 3-1 win against uh, Southampton with a crowd, um, you know, sort of started to, you know, herald some possible good times at the Thunder. Yeah, but it also included, sandwiched in between those games, a thrill draw with Brighton when we were 3-1 up. Yeah, sure. Chucked it away and almost lost it. Yeah, Um, yeah. It would have been an absolute shocker. And you could set, and that's the point I'm making, when we were 3-1 up against Brighton and and, and they got the, you know, when it went to 3-2, you could sense the nervousness uh, yeah. around against a team that really we were running all over that afternoon. Um, yeah. And it should never have gone like that. Mm. Well, I mean, you know, it's, it's, uh, it, it, it's, I, th- I think that the team is less likely to fold like that now. You know, I mean, obviously it sort of did in a way against Spurs uh, because we conceded three goals very quickly, but actually there was enough resolve and enough kind of personality on, in, in, in the players we had. You know, I think when you have players like Rice, Suchek and Bowen, uh, I think you've got a, you've always got a chance, you know. They'll make something happen, and you know, um, I think we are a little more. That is that, of course, is the the extraordinary psychology of football. Um, In that game, of course, we were dead and buried after twenty minutes, and we all know that. But we hung on in there, which I agree is a real marked expression of tenacity that we didn't cave and end up at the wrong end of a six or seven mil thrashing, which is you know what I feared, but. You could see once the first one went in, um, yeah. the clowns in the white shirts were thinking, oh, fuck, no, please, don't tell me yeah. we, can, we can actually blow this. And, of course, the second one in, went in so quickly thereafter, um, courtesy of that big joker they've got at centre-back, um, yeah. who makes Issa Diop look like Bobby Moore. Um, you know, Sanchez, you could sense, and I was watching like all of us at home thinking, fuck me, we can actually do this. We're yeah. going to actually go and get another I, one. I felt that. And, uh, you know, I was um, w- uh, w- watching it with someone at the time on, on Zoom. And, and, and with, that was the way the conversation was going. Oh, go, crikey. Even, you know, we'd called about 20 minutes to go, forget one here. This is going to be a yeah. really interesting game. And I think the thing, the thing I've enjoyed hugely about us this season that, that you it's even even in the even in the magnificent pirate season you know we were reliant so heavily on him weren't we in terms of oh. his of his skill and, and and ability to score from set pieces and whatnot um this team plays as a team and we're always in those games aren't we we you never think we're out of a game you know we're, we're, because it's very david Moyes. We, we, we play with intensity we win the ball back. We we close people down, and um, 
there are the signs. I thought there were the signs. I thought there was a sort of one or two kind of progressive things to take out of yesterday's game. That's when we were in possession, particularly in that second half, we were just passing them to to blazes, weren't we? we yeah, were just passing them to death. We just lacked <clears throat> a good decision making in the final third and a, and a, and a, and a cutting edge striker. I mean, well, I, I'm going to chuck one at you here, Jim. You know, you're talking about what recruitment you'd like to see in in January. Um, given David Moyes' first stint um, in, in, in East London, um, if I understand this correctly, and I believe I do, that according to, because of legislation now in China, um, no player is going to be able to earn um, more than about a million pound a year. And some of those hugely um, overpaid players that are over there are going to have to come back to play in Europe if they're going to earn anything like that, which they think they should, um, what price are Nartovic ever coming back and running around in a claret and blue shirt? <clears throat> well, how old is he now? Yeah, he's got to be about thirty-two now. I would have thought. I I, I wonder. I I if you could guarantee that he would come back with the same kind of fitness levels and you know energy and intensity that he showed at times under Moyes um I, I'll go oh yes obviously but the, the the history of players coming back is not always great no. Is it? um no. you know and and you wonder you know having gone there he's he hasn't going to he hasn't he won't have played at the level that you i mean Werner, for example is sort of has gone on record as he is saying is he's finding the premier league really physically difficult uh and and struggling a bit you know um i just i i wonder i suspect i think i i doubt that he he would be the Arnautovic we know, and we'd all be disappointed and frustrated again. Probably would, but I just thought I'd chuck it at you anyway. Yeah. Well, he's the kind of player we could do with, clearly. Well, it's, it's that ability, isn't it, yeah. to make something happen and um, with real technique, um, you know, not just obviously strength, but real technique and playing on the edge. And that's what we missed um, last night. And it's what yeah. we missed against Palace. Um, that whole package yeah. um, of, of a forward that's actually just too hot to handle. Yeah. Uh, I mean, what do we, what do we, um, you know, uh, <clears throat> we've talked about him so much, but obviously he, he has improved in a few games recently. But um, Alaire, <clears throat> I think, you know, last time I talked to, maybe I was saying it to just someone in real life rather than on this podcast, but I, I sort of said that I, he just doesn't really have a USP at no. all. You know, it's like, that's what you've just described, Simon, is is Arnautovic all over. Arnautovic has guile. He's a real playground footballer. He knows how to protect a ball. He knows how to hold off a defender. He knows how to turn. He's got quick feet. He's got vision. He's got passing. You know, no one's ever sort of thought of him as the fastest footballer on two legs. But, you know, he's got a very quick brain. And he's also got a good finish. And he backs himself on a one-to-one. Alaire sort of doesn't. You know, it sounds a dreadful thing to say, but he kind of hasn't got anything. He's not quick. He doesn't. He doesn't have guile. Um, I mean, you know, his touch for the Leeds goal. Don't, don't. You know, a, a, a ball was hit at him slightly too hard by Ben Rama. But I mean, 
that's where the that's where you're you're costing 59 45 million pounds comes in you know just trap it it bounced off him into the path of a Leeds player who yeah. just ran at our goal yeah. and they scored you know yeah. it's just I just will you know if you don't control it on the first touch control it on the second he's got terrible first touch well sometimes he has sometimes he's frustrating like that because there are moments where he seems to have very good feet for a big man yeah. I, I think he's he blows on the card. I think um I think you're right though what he's what he lacks uh is is a football brain I, I think um, you know he's he, he he to be that fair last night he worked his socks off last night he ran <laughs> across that line he closed people down yeah, he yeah. did not stop running he you cannot cannot accuse him of being lazy which a lot of people did uh, earlier in the season um, he can he can score wonder goals he's he's already hit two great strikes in 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 recent games the one at Sheffield United and and the overhead kick mm. um, he's got that in his locker but why doesn't he score? Um, the kind of goal that he did score for his for early on in that Watford game when he started tap-ins, I think it's because he doesn't find space in the box. He doesn't. He doesn't move late. He doesn't lose his um, marker. He well, hasn't got that. That. That now. So there was an article in the Guardian today about football brain. How you teach it, and sort of citing <laughs> Sheringham as the archetypal. He was <laughs> Sheringham was slow. Didn't have pace. Didn't whatever. But when I watched him at West Ham, and he was, you know, he was past his peak when he came to West Ham. Um, I, I once turned to someone I might have been you, Phil, and sort of said, "It's amazing whenever Sheringham receives the ball, he's in space. Yeah, yeah. He's running well, around, he's always in space. That, he's that, never got that is when he receives the ball because he's got a quality footballer. Um, yeah. And um, and I agree with you. Um, and he also had a, a fantastic assuredness, Teddy. Um, but it was a cut above player. But going back to Alaire, which is, I, I would really like to see." him tried alongside Antonio before any final decision is made about yeah, it. Sure. Um, because he's demonstrated, as you say, and I remember being at Vicarage Road when we won there um, at the beginning of, of, of last season. Um, he can score those goals. It's just that he needs them. He needs to play alongside someone who can give him space by taking away um, the, the marker. And yeah. that, and that's what Mikel Antonio does, and that's why. Well, yeah, this think, version of Mikel Antonio has really only existed for about six or seven months, though. This is, I mean, it's extraordinary. He was, I remember um, Antonio and Alaire being paired under Pellegrini uh, at the Thunderdome last season against someone, and um, Alaire was, was laying the ball off, assisting Antonio all game. Nothing ever came back from Antonio to no, him because was, Antonio was Antonio Mark One, which was just what, heads was, down, blaze it over the bar, get tackled by two defenders, fall over, run the ball out of play. Um, you know, but something happened to him. He's been coached. Yeah. That's what's uh, happened to him. And he's now been, he's got guile. He's got a bit of guile and, you know, links up with other players well now. It's extraordinary. I mean, his turnaround is, is really quite remarkable. And yeah. it's, it's wonderful for him because um, I, I have a real, real fondness for Mikel Antonio, although yeah. I was the one that constantly called him the tin man because he had everything but a brain. Um, yeah. Thanks, I would think, to David Moyes. He's actually developed the brain. But yeah. I, I've got a real soft spot for people like he and Jamie Vardy, and even Ian Wright, although, of course, he's different uh, 
on a, played on a different level. Guys who have come to the game late, who have yeah. been rejected everywhere, um, couldn't get a trial, you know, um, uh, uh, in the local park. Yeah. And they seem to play, and Vardy, who I think is just fantastic, and personally, yeah. I would have him. If I, I would have him as my number nine ahead of anyone else in the Premier League. I think is that brilliant. Um, yeah. But they play as if every game is their last game, and, and they play with that mentality of I can't actually believe I'm here, and I'm going to give it everything I can. Yeah, <clears throat> big smile on their face, whatever happens, and I think it's just fantastic. All three of them, and and, and Mikel plays like that as well. You know, he didn't come through an academy, wasn't spoiled at the age of 18. No. Didn't have it all on a plate. Had to go out there and get it and make it happen. And now he's got there. Um, you can see he's got a real desire not to give any of it up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I think we've got potentially, you know, now he's signed a new contract. I mean, you know, he's got, obviously the hamstrings are an issue, but apart from that, he's got, you know, he's got, a lot of the top sprinters who have his kind of physique are at their peak in their early 30s, aren't they, in terms yeah. of pace? So I think, you know, potentially, um, you know, we've got a good couple of seasons. He is going to be West Ham's leading Premier League scorer. He's going to, he's going to overtake De Canio, I think, in terms of goals scored. Yeah, perhaps not the same quality, but... Oh, no, no, no. <laughs> Yeah, so he. Um, uh, it looks like um, you know there have been sort of noises coming from the West Ham camp that there's not going to be a lot of business in this winter oh. transfer window. But of course, that's just uh, you know, obviously um, could easily be just you know deflection. Uh, sure. you know, they're not gonna they're not gonna sort of list their targets now and to sort of tell everyone it is notoriously difficult the winter transfer window as well. I mean, it it you know it, it is a little less uh desperate you know unlike some of the other winter transfer windows um you know in a sense the one that in which we bought um bowen and suchek we we basically i think we had to buy otherwise we would get relegated well uh, that's, you know, what happened, that's what happened didn't it in in 0607 where we had a fantastic january um and really turned the season around miraculously um, yeah. uh, in order to do so and, and bought some terrific players um, in, in that window that, um, you know, changed it all around. Uh, Lucas Neal, a very good example of it, you know, was yeah. transformative in that season. And he came in in the winter window. Um, Boa Morte came in that winter window. And, and I'm sure you'll both remind me of a couple of others, but we didn't Upson. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, I just noticed tonight, interestingly, that Brentford beat Newcastle um, in the League Cup and their centre forward, um, maybe one season wonder so far, looks half decent. Tony, his surname. Right. Uh, um, and I always think there's value in the championship. I, I don't necessarily I don't buy into all this. You know, you've got to spend 60, 70 million pound on, on a forward don't always work. No, I think recent signings have made that very clear. I mean, this, uh, you know, old Vladimir at right back, he, what, a, what a signing he's Great made signing. For, five, for five million. You know, he looks like the complete right back, doesn't he? You know, yeah. and he can play both roles. He can play conventional right back or the, or the yeah. wing back role. He's a bit of a throwback, isn't he? He is a little bit. Definitely, yeah. <laughs> you know, he's a real throwback right back, Sufal. It's um, 
quite remarkable. You know, he's full-blooded. He, you know, runs up and down that line. He's got a fantastic engine. Tim um, Breaker. He's the new yeah, Tim Breaker. Yeah, he is like him. Yeah, very and, reminiscent of Tim Breaker. He's very athletic, like Breaker was. Yeah. And he's quite heads down. It's like it, it, he kind of goes, if there's no one to stop me, I'll just go to the byline with the ball. You know, it's up to someone to get in my way. Yeah. No, it's a, it's a great signing. So it can be done. I just think it's a lot of it is um, you, know, you need to have sufficient will and guile in the market as well. Uh, and I, and I, I, I'm not sure that we have sufficient guile, even no. if it was the will quite frankly um there's always money if you want to spend it but you've got to you've got to you've got to use it wisely um that that's the key to it uh, have, um, throw money at it the left back problem has sort of been one for a, a long time wasn't it i mean it, it basically we were, we were under billich we were about to begin a premier league season with one left back until Cresswell did him a favour by uh, doing his cruciate knee ligament and forcing them to buy a left back. Unfortunately, they didn't. They bought Arthur Masuaku. Precisely. The, yeah, the, <laughs> left, the left winger. Uh, I mean, yeah. I remember his debut was at Stamford Bridge, which was the it first was. game of the yeah. season. Yeah. Um, and uh, where Pyatt was on the bench. And we were, we were losing 1-0. And all I could think of about Masuaku was, he's a good player. And a left back. And then... Yeah. Uh, we, we went to the um, West Brom game where he handled the ball twice in the build-up to... Uh, um, is, that, is that the game where they were 4-0 up after about 20 minutes? Yes, I think it was. Over three, I think it ended three. They beat us 4-0 twice, didn't they? It's, yeah. It was in the cup. But they, I think they went 3-0 up very game. quickly. Yeah, it was a league yeah. game. It was just mm. a shocker. Yeah. It was terrible. Appalling. No. Uh, you know, I mean, it's like that was sort of um, the writing on the wall for Billich early on. I mean, he just, that was wretched that season. Yeah, it was. Dreadful. I mean, you know, two awful seasons where one was truncated by his dismissal, uh, which, of course, has happened again. Uh, West Bromwich Albion are basically, um, their next manager may well be Avram Grant, uh, <laughs> if they, if they, they go of... along these lines. One can only hope. Yeah. Um, yeah, you know, interesting. Um, I just hope this, that I, I, I suspect strongly that Allardyce will walk out of there by about March, April, when he realises that this impregnability, cloak of impregnability that he's got around him, um, of never having a team relegated, is going to be punctured, and he will walk before anyone can say, actually, Sam, you know, yeah. you've taken a team down. Because yeah. I, from what I've seen of West Brom, it, it, you know, he's a great survival manager. I can't stand him as both you... Well, I don't mean as a person, I put that to one side... Um, as a manager, he's, I just think that he's completely fucking archaic. Me too, yeah, yeah. Everything, and he represents everything I dislike about, you know, he's like, you know, he's like Mike Bassett, isn't he? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I don't like, and I think that unfortunately, and picking up on what you were saying much earlier um, tonight, uh, Phil, he has, he along with Poulis, have tainted English managerial talent because yeah. every potential English manager 
is gauged by Sam Allardyce and by Tony Pullis or yeah. Steve Bruce. Although, of course, technically, yeah, Steve Bruce. So when it's unfair, because I think that, that Scott Parker could be a terrific manager, um, given time. You know, he certainly, certainly played well enough and he, his, his philosophy of football would suggest that he's got more in his locker. You know, for all the criticism, some of the most exciting football I've ever seen at West Ham was under Harry. Um, yeah, and yeah, yeah. There were, there were about four seasons when it was just fantastic going over there. You Absolutely. didn't know what you were going to get. could be dire or it could just be bloody extraordinary. And you'd come out having had the best entertainment you know, you had in, in ages. So, yeah. um, but Allardyce is responsible, I think, for this characterization of all English managers as Mike Bloody Bassett. Yeah. And, yeah and he dines out on it as well. It's almost like saying, I'm proud to be in the... Well, his you attitude know? when he came to West Ham, the way he uh, disrespected the club, you know, even if, even if you don't... Even if managers don't believe it, they at least go through the kind of the motions of talking about the heritage and the history of the club and the fans and so on. He was antagonistic towards oh. all that from day one. It was, yeah. it was uh, oh, what's the West Ham way? You know, losing, losing. You know, yeah, uh, you know, it's like old Trevor Brooking. He's just, he's just an old fairy. As if, as if, and more, like, yeah. you know, as if, and as fans, you watch. Yeah, you want your team to win, but but you you watch. That's why I came away from last night's game not feeling uh, as miserable as as, as, I, as I have done for uh, some lesser defeats because I thought no we've we've played really good football against a top team uh, yeah. you know and it hasn't gone our way because they've got a much better <laughs> squad than we have partly. I mean, um, yeah. look and, at the first half against Man United. I, it, oh. Yeah, Put I mean, aside the fact that we should have been four up, and and yeah. and I, I know you've had this conversation, but um, the f- the football and the chances we carved out in that first forty five minutes yeah, was, was reminiscent, you know, yeah. of, of the of days under Harry, um, where you know with Decanio and Berkowitz, and it was just brilliant. It was fantastic. Well, it's, there's there's this sort of interesting thing that's happened in the last couple of years. Is this um, the thing about possession football? Because I've always sort of felt that you know I've always liked teams like um, you know good the good versions of Arsenal. Uh, there's a conversation. <laughs> Arsenal possibly you know relegation threatened at the moment. But um, you know if you keep the ball, you're more likely to score. If you keep the ball, the other team is less likely to score. It's sort of simple. But now there are you know teams playing in a style that's not really predicated on possession they often win the game but they've had 40% 37% possession and uh, we've been a bit like that a couple of times this season but it actually doesn't feel like you've got less possession because it it's about counter attack so when we yeah. do have the ball we're attacking the other team's goal so it actually feels like you know, if you get to the end of the game, you kind of go, well, it was probably about 50-50. We probably had 50, they had 50. But in fact, we had like 36% because every time we had it, we were sort of attacking the other team's goal. And it's interesting that, you know, there's been this conversation quite a lot. You know, the, the, the two of the only times we really heard this weird phenomenon of, um, you know, in terms of a result, quite positive performances being booed, famously the Hull game, um, uh 
under Allardyce where we um, somehow scraped a win playing the most cowardly style of football imaginable, basically parking a bus when they'd had a player sent off. And under um, Kirbishley, there were games that were sort of booed because we played too negatively. And um, yeah. you know. the, West, the West Ham way to me, and, and I'm sure it may, it's like everything, beauty is like beauty, isn't it? It's in the eye of the beholder. For me, the West Ham way has never been... Um, Tiki Taka, um, no, no. Uh, you know, or the way that Arsenal played about six years ago with a million passes. It really was, you know, Frank Lampard Senior or Julian Dix bombing down one side, Ray Stewart bombing down the other side, Brooking being all balletic, Bill bulldozing everyone out of existence, and Cotty and McAvenny or whomever up front, you know, David Cross or whomever getting yeah. the, in the bloody onion bag. Yeah. And, played fast, direct football, predominantly on the ground. Yeah. But it wasn't tiki-taka. No. never had been. Even if you want the footage from the 60s, you know, with Moore and Hurst and Peters. Yeah. And, and it, it, they played direct football. Moore might have brought the ball out of the back, but he'd ping it long. He'd, you know, that's how we, we played. We moved it quick. And Absolutely. We, we didn't sit there and just go play for what I call carousel football, round and round and round it bleed and goes. And ten minutes later you've not moved the you've not moved the ball, you know, twenty yards further forward than you had in the previous ten minutes. No, I, I, I agree. And I think the kind of football we play under Moyes is a lot closer to that than, I agree. than a lot of people are prepared to um to accept, I think. You know, I think they 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 had lumped Moyes along with those uh you know dinosaur managers and uh, I think he's rapidly you know, disproving them, I think. Mm. Um, and and go, but just building on what, what Phil was saying about um, possession, you know, there is a pattern to the games we've won this season and, and, and where we, we play well. The pattern tends to be about 35% possession, but more shots on goal, more shots on target, more corners than the opposition. And that's been pretty consistent. Uh, the Leeds game, I've got the stats here, 36% possession, Eight shots on target to their seven, 11 shots off target to their six, six corners to their five. And, and that's a reflection. You know, the possession isn't, isn't, you don't necessarily dominate a game by just having the ball anymore. I think you're right. Yeah. For, you, you, you know, and we've, we've dominated some games, I think, even though we've let the opposition have, have the ball and knock it side to side. You know, and the um, fact is that the three at the back um, suit that, I think, much yes. more. Um, yeah, and, and you know what's what's interesting about that was that <clears throat> so on social media, when when the team formation for the first time he played that three and out of that came out, people interpreted it as a kind of defensive um, idea, but it wasn't. It was it was a way to have wing backs. It was a way to deploy yeah. Masuaku. Yeah, uh, you know, it was all about attacking, and it was the same the first time he came. You know, the first time he played that back three of Rice, Ogbonna and Cresswell and and we had wing backs and he had Lanzini and Arnautovic up front and it was a way to attack the other team's goal. It wasn't saying, oh, three centre-backs, that's more defensive. In Allardyce's world, that is the reason. Yeah, it's, yes, yeah. Yeah, it's fine. Agreed. Yeah. Agreed. No, I agree. You, I, you fear for West Brom... Um, and I've got a bit of a soft spot for that club, and 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 um, 
but I, I just think they they haven't invested very well in 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 the summer, and and they look a bit short. Sheffield United are as good as down, I would say. Well, I just I just wonder um, if they'd be blaming it on Carlos Tevez and what. Uh, yes, yeah, yeah. Uh, I think there'll be lawsuits aplenty. <laughs> what I was going to say is, I think it's lucky for Arsenal because um, I think they're in a relegation fight. Uh, nah, they'll be fine. They will be fine, but they're lucky there are two dead cert teams to go down this season. The way the table is, the way the results are. If it were a bit like more like last season, um, I watched them. I, I don't watch a lot of game, other games uh, that West Ham are, aren't involved in, but I watched them against Everton, and they were wretched. They were shockingly poor. Uh, they, they are, and to be honest, you know, the last few times we've played them, the same story as the, yeah. the you know, they've, they've not looked good. That first half, that game where they ended up beating us at um, at the Thunderdome, yeah. um, that, that first half was the worst first half performance I've seen from an Arsenal. We should have, we should have absolutely been out of sight yeah. at half yeah. game. You know, I, mean, uh, I, I, watched, I watched their game, um, uh, uh, against the scum a few weeks ago and I got a lot of old friends who are big big gooners and we were talking as the game was going on and I think Arsenal could have played till midnight and they wouldn't have scored in that game no, no. I mean it's just incredible and, and when you've got players up front like Lacazette and Aubameyang and yeah. you can't concede they, I mean there's look at this that's a gaming point their stats in that game of possession were off the scale um off the, they had something like 70% possession. Tottenham had three shots, scored two, and, and basically said, come on, boys, because you ain't ever going to score. It's like rope-a-dope. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> quite remarkable. Yeah. Well, I just think, you know, I'd see how they go. But, I mean, if they, get, if they lose another couple, um, uh, Brighton, well, <laughs> we're playing Brighton. Yeah, uh, we are. Next, but if Brighton do one, get, get one on us, they'll, they've got a game in hand, they'll be above them. Um, uh, and those are players who just didn't expect to be in a relegation fight aren't the kind of players you would want uh, you know to be backs against the wall in a relegation scrap there'll be um, a lot of divisiveness in that you know we've seen it you know we it's the old way too good to go down thing yep. yeah. I just think that they won't because I think they're lucky that you, there's a Sheffield United in the way yeah, yeah. this season yeah, the I mean, the you know the Rhoda team and the Grant team were both sort of too well, good to go yeah, down. But, definitely uh, the road. I mean, the road. The, the team is the one that it reminds you of. Yeah, it's extraordinary. Uh, yeah, though the, the, the Arsenal team isn't as good because there's still that sort of you know things they haven't addressed in years, even under Grant. You know, um, Wenger's uh, last few years. Like you know, they've got a sort of midfield enforcer in Xhaka, but he's mad. Yeah, he's crazy. <laughs> like, I, I, I wouldn't want him in my Normal one, There's like no Sir, good as Super Sir Rice. Rice would hold that team together. They've got Xhaka, you know, I don't know where they got him from, but he's just a bit bonkers and, um, you know, gets himself sent off, has arguments with the fans. You know, he's just, they haven't... You, they, you know something must be right. Any team that has uh, Ozil, whatever you think of him, you know, but, but every team that has Ozil and can't and doesn't put him in there. 25-man Premier League squad yeah. has got some kind of malaise going on, hasn't it? I mean, you know, there's there must be problems there. Uh, I, I I don't know how bold they'll be in getting rid of Arteta, but I, I suspect for all kinds of reasons they'll try and hang on to him. Absolutely. And they might hang on to him for too long. 
Yeah, yeah. So uh, it came up, but uh, we should probably talk at this point about the Brighton game at the weekend. Who have we got? Uh, what, does, can anyone offhand remember our sort of Christmas fixture yeah. list? Brighton yeah. at home, um, Southampton away, Everton, Everton away. away. And then we've Stockport. got the Cup game, Stockport. and then we've got Burnley at home. Yeah, right. and then it's West Brom after that, I think. Yeah. I mean, those are, you know, Southampton and Everton are going to be tough games. Southampton are going, I've got quite a few Southampton supporting friends and, uh, you know, they're going really well. They had a lot of faith in that. That Ralph Hasenhutl, there was a point, was it last season or the season? Because they've had some bad seasons, haven't they? That's to beat them 9-0 at home. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, uh, from that was remarkable. Yeah. Imagine at our place, we got beat 9-0 at home. There'd yeah. be riots. Um, it wouldn't just be we'll sack the manager. The manager would be ransacked as <laughs> yeah. the stadium and as would anything that's painted in claret and blue. Um, yeah. And give them credit. Um, what price would you have given on a team that got beaten 9-0 at home on a Friday night in, in, in the rain? Not that the rain had anything to do with it. What price did, would you have given them for them to stay in the division? And they, rem- and they stayed comfortably. But yeah. they've got a couple of real key ingredients. They've got a terrific player in Ward Prowse who yeah. has a great delivery, and they've got a natural goal scorer in Danny Ings. And yeah. there's a case in point. Goes there for free. What were we doing? You know, who were we chasing um, yeah. when, when he went to Southampton? Sorry. Yeah. He was such an easy pickup for no money. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, I've always liked Nathan Redmond. I mean, he's now sort of, you know, sort of yeah. a bit old. But a few years ago, I was, you know, kept thinking. And in fact, sort of probably before I thought that about the Wolves guy, Traore. I, I, uh, when Traore was at Middlesbrough, I thought we should get that guy. And I think he's the guy that the equivalent was Nathan Redmond maybe yeah. five years ago. I think we should get that Nathan Redmond guy. He's quick. He knows where the goal is, you know. Uh, and I think Walcott's playing with the freedom that he's, I, I, he's always had the burden of expectation on his shoulders, hasn't he, I, I, I feel. Um, yeah. And he's still quick and dangerous. So he's a late they've, loop, they've, you know, got, they've, got, they've got really good width now uh, with yeah. him and uh, um, what's his name? So, uh we're going to have our work yeah, difficult up. game. Difficult game. Yeah. yeah. You know, I think that'll be close. That'll be a tight game. Everton are, are a very good side, I think. Um, yeah. And have got quality in that in that squad. Well, our record of Goodison, of course, is it's absolutely... And, well, yeah. the League Cup this season was a case in the end. 3-2 game aside that I mentioned in, in um, the Pyatt season, as I prefer to call it, um, that aside, you know, our... Our record at Goodison um, is just woeful and only surpassed by our record at Anfield, um, yeah. which was corrected in the same season. But, you know, when you look at An- the fact that in that same season where we won 3-0 at Anfield, and what a lovely afternoon that was, um, you know, when we previously won at Anfield, I think the Beatles were number one. Um <laughs> Yeah, and, and 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 Hurst and Peters scored the goals, which really does put it in some sort of historical perspective. But at Goodison, we're not much better, in truth. We um, had a good, we had a good uh, year against Everton, didn't we? Didn't was it the same season where we beat Sam Allardyce's Everton on the last game of the season? But in, in, yes. uh, in the yes. reverse fixture, isn't that Yarmolenko's two goals and Arnautovic's yes. one? Yes, 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 yeah. Yeah, I think, that, I think that was they were both in the same season, so we did. Yeah, 
Yeah. But that was a one-off. And and they've got the sort of players as well, classically, that re- we really don't like. I mean, I think Richarlison is a terrific player. He might also yes. be a bit of a psycho, but he's a terrific player. Yeah, yeah. Calvert Lewin, you know, is on fire. Um, yeah. yeah. Jamez Rodriguez, if he returns to the form he showed a few weeks ago, is a hugely able footballer. Yeah. Um, and and I like um, I can't remember his name in their midfield. They've got a real tiger in the Alan. Yeah, he's injured. Yes. Yeah, is he? Well, yeah. you know, but he is a good player. And they've got another one as well, a, a Latino in the midfield who's, who's yeah. a tiger. Good side, Everton. Very good. The only good thing about them, from our perspective, is that you, you do look at Jordan Pickford and think, my God, he's got a mistake in him every game, don't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, you do, you do. But uh, you know. That's those are both difficult games. Very. Um, uh, we've got to capitalise on Brighton. I think Brighton becomes an important game, partly because of the sort of loss of momentum uh, with the uh, the last two uh, in terms of results. So uh, they, of uh, course, are a huge bogey team for us and now. They are oh. a bogey team. They are. Um, yeah. I think we will have too much for them, though. I really do this time. Yeah. Whoever's yeah. playing up front, I think we'll just have too much for them. I like yeah. Lalana. You know, I've always liked Lalana, and he's he's having a little bit of a kind of golden, golden end to his career there. I think. Um, yeah. um, so, what do you what do you what do you think the score might be, Jim? Two nil. Two nil. Yeah. Simon, what do you think about the Brighton game? My head says one. All my heart says three nil. Three nil. Excellent. Yeah. Uh, I'm going to go for uh, two one. Two one. Mm. To us. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, uh, yes, well, there is a sort of uh, quite a busy Christmas schedule that we're all going to be watching at home. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's a shame, you know, that Christmas, uh, the last few years, Jim, I've stayed over at yours on Christmas Day yeah, and we've, that's gone right. to, uh, we've gone to a fixture. Yeah. Uh, and uh, Always away in recent years. There hasn't been a home, home feature game on at the no. Thunderdome. Not since we moved to the Thunderdome. Yeah. Um, I just have to say this, doing all our yesterdays, my hi- one of my highlights of the year as a little boy growing up was, was the home Boxing Day fixture. Yeah. Always sold out. You know, it was always about midday. All the men, because everyone, there was a man when I was a little boy, were, were already well and truly pissed before they even arrived. Yeah. Um, and it was just a fantastic afternoon. Just wonderful um, yeah. And I really miss that. It used to be, for me, the highlight of the year, home fixture on Boxing Day. Um, but alas and alack, you know, all things must pass, as uh, George Harrison said. So, yes. you know, we're, we're now we're now constrained to having to watch our heroes um, on telly um, with, with a turkey sandwich or whatever it might be or whatever leftovers we've, we've all got. Um, yeah. And having to face yet another bowl of walnuts, God forbid, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know whether the um, the sort of the FA and the fixture computer has sort of is now no longer trying to arrange local derbies because they used to they used to felt feel that the thing was slightly weighted towards not making people travel so much on Boxing Day, so trying to arrange local fixtures to do with sort of reasons of. Um, um, you know, crowd control and sort of people not having to travel huge distances. Yeah, but that's, that's a relatively modern thing, because though you know, yes, it um, is. back in back in the fifties and the sixties, you would play the same team home and away, 
um, on Boxing Day and then a couple of days later. So most famously in West Ham history, I think is the very, very early 60s. Exactly, Blackburn, we lost at home, was at 8-2. And then 1-2-1 yes. up there, about three days later, with exactly <laughs> the same 11. You can't make it up, can you? No. No. Yeah, yeah. Um, it seemed for years it was always Portsmouth. I don't, I yeah, we got Portsmouth. In my memory. Yeah, we, we just seemed to play Portsmouth on Boxing Day or something. Yeah, we went to quite a few of those. Um, Fulham as well. We seemed to play Fulham yeah, on Boxing Day. We had yeah. a, and Tottenham. And Tottenham. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. We had a few Tottenham ones, didn't we? Yeah, yeah. Um, yes, yes. And now they're just basically all in our flats. <laughs> yeah, right. I have to sort of look at the kind of stadium's livery to see whether it's a kind of home game or away game. I've slightly, I know when it's on, I know, you know, I'm going to watch it on Zoom with some people, um, but I quite often don't really know whether it's nominally a home game or an away game now. Uh, does that make much difference? Right, well, um, that's probably about it for uh, this Stop Hammer Time. Um we will probably, I don't know whether there will be one scheduled over Christmas. I doubt it. We'll probably be back in the new year. But uh, uh, my name's Phil Whelans. With me this week have been Jim Grant. Cheerio. And Simon Pentel. Very happy Christmas and a very happy new year. Come on, you irons. This is a Playback Media production. Get all the associated links for this podcast at westhampodcast.com. Sports Social Podcast Network.